chapter 20. We'll be reading that entire chapter. So if you bow your heads, Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, that um, in the midst of the, the virus, in the midst of a partial economic shutdown, and in the midst of all the, the trials and tribulations that we're going through, I just thank you, Lord, that there's people like the people that are here today who still care about you and your word and your truth. And so I'm just so grateful, Lord, that we've had people that um, um, uh, still want to hear God's word preached and are still trying to put Jesus first in their lives. And so it's my prayer, Lord, that each and every person here would not trust in our own works, would acknowledge we're sinners, but would trust in Jesus alone for salvation and uh, would commit their lives to Jesus and his word, the Bible, for daily living. And so, Lord, as we look at um, our newspapers and see the trials that are going on, may we also read your word in Revelation chapter 20 and see that the day will come when your son, the Lord Jesus, will take his stand upon the earth and will shepherd the nations with an iron rod. And so we long for that day. Until then, Lord, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, equip us to be all that you called us to be so that we would not be ashamed, but we would be your faithful servants through the power of the Holy Spirit and for uh, your kingdom and your glory. So be with us, Lord, in the study of your word. Anoint me to preach your word. Open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word and empower us to apply it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as you can see, I titled the message. We have the handouts over there if you didn't get the handouts yet. Uh, the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Millennium just means a thousand years. So I could have titled this the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. And we're going to look at where the Bible talks about this in Revelation chapter 20. You might want to put a bookmark in uh, the book of Isaiah for today's message too because we'll be dancing all over the scriptures but the uh, book of Isaiah has a lot to say um, about uh, the reign of, uh, uh, of Jesus on earth. Revelation chapter 20 and we'll read through the entire chapter. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. See, Satan is not yet bound. He roams freely. Okay? He messes with us. He's got access into the heaven, Revelation 12 says, where he accuses the brethren day and night before God's throne room. He accused Job. Uh, before God's throne room in the book of Job and Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor in the book of Zechariah. Uh, but he will be bound for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So after Jesus returns, which is Revelation 19, right before that, starting at verse 11, 
after Jesus returns in power and glory and rescues uh, believers, Gentile believers, and the uh, um, uh, Jews, um, then Christ is going to <clears throat> reign on earth, and Satan will be chained up in the bottomless pit, also known as the abyss. Okay? And uh, look at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so the first resurrection, you know, pre-tribbers would see that occurring before Jesus, before the tribulation, and... Um, uh, but, you know, here you have those who are martyred during the tribulation and they're resurrected to reign, okay? So I, as a post-tribber who believe that the rapture of the church occurs at the second coming of Christ after the tribulation, um, those in the first resurrection, those who are raised by Jesus at his coming, that's the first resurrection to life. The second resurrection, you don't want to be part of that. That's after the millennial kingdom, where those who are in torment in Hades, Hades gives up his dead, and then they stand at the great white throne judgment, and um, and then are tossed into the lake of fire, what we call hell, forever and ever. Verse 7. Now when the seven years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now, Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39, Gog and Magog talk about powerful nations to the north of Israel that invade her before the second coming of Christ. Now, Gog and Magog are being used symbolically of all the nations, everyone who is opposed uh, to God. And so Satan goes out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so you have this, this final rebellion. Now we... You know, we could say, you know, what a great thing that we don't have to worry, uh, human beings won't have to worry during the Millennial Kingdom, Satan isn't around to tempt them anymore. And so you think, wow, mankind's going to do great. But the human beings that go into the Millennium in their natural bodies, okay, um, are going to be, I think it's going to be basically, when, when Jesus defeats the nations that are in, invading Israel at the Battle of Armageddon, 
I don't think he's going to kill all the children on the planet. And so our first job with our resurrected bodies, our mortal bodies will put on immortality, will be uh, to raise up uh, the children who move into the, uh, the uh, millennial kingdom. I also think the Jews, they get saved at the last second, that's right after the raptures actually occurred, and so they're in their natural bodies. They need to be protected, Zechariah 14, by an earthquake that splits the mountain so that they escape through that. Well, they're going to be repopulating the Jewish nation. So there will be Gentiles and Jews um, who will be increasing the human population. And then when Satan comes back, when he gets released from the bottomless pit, there's going to be a lot of people who aren't going to be happy that they couldn't do a lot of evil stuff while Jesus was shepherding the nations with an iron rod. So basically what I'm saying is, don't blame Satan and the demons. It's your fault, okay, for not recognizing that your battle is against them, and it's your fault for caving into their temptations. <clears throat> and that we've become such experts at doing evil you can remove Satan from the equation and we'd still be rotten people if we were still in our mortal bodies. Now, would our immortal bodies will have been glorified <clears throat> and so the whole presence of sin will be gone and, um, and we'll serve Jesus throughout that millennial kingdom and, and reign with him. Look at verses 11 to 15. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. You want to be in that book. You're in the Lamb's book of life if you trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Okay? And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death, that's the grave, and Hades... Uh, place of, if a non-believer dies right now, they don't go to hell. No one's in hell yet until the Antichrist and false prophet get thrown into hell at the, um, uh, when Jesus returns. Um, and uh, so there's, Hades is a temporary place of torment awaiting the great white throne judgment. And, and even non-believers will receive resurrection bodies. Theirs will be suited to eternal death Ours, our resurrection bodies will be suited for eternal life. And the, seas, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. But anyone not found written, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, we're going to be judged by Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' perfect righteousness, that is the standard that God demands for us to go to heaven forever and ever and enjoy uh, everlasting life with the Lord, that our ticket to heaven is the righteousness of Christ. Just read the book of Romans talks about, he uses righteousness as synonymous, as a synonym uh, for salvation. And so on the judgment day, it's, it's, it's going to all be dealing with the righteousness of Christ. 
if you're not saved, God is going to look at your righteousness and it's going to be measured against Jesus' righteousness, which is the standard. And you are going to fall short. I don't care if your name's Mahatma Gandhi. You're going to fall short. Okay? Um, so if you choose to stand on the judgment day in your own righteousness, you're toast, literally. If instead you acknowledge you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and you trust in Jesus alone for salvation, then not only was your sin credited to his account when he died on the cross, but his righteousness is credited to your account. And so when God the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and allows you entrance uh, into heaven. And... Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about that. God made him who knew, who knew no sin, that's Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And, um, and so we have a righteous standing. We have the righteousness of Jesus credited to our account. Now we need to start living consistently with that. And that's where the judgment seat of Christ is going to come into play where it's going to determine the amount of rewards or the lack of rewards that believers will receive. Uh, but whatever the case, we see that after Jesus returns, he will reign on the earth for a thousand years. I see absolutely no reason for interpreting that symbolically. The early church saw no reason, whether it was uh, you know, the guys who were trained by the apostles and their pupils who led the early church, Papias, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Apollinaris, uh, Apollinaris uh, Victorinus, and even the author of the Epistle of Barnabas. So you're going from, from about 75 A.D. to 220 A.D., virtually all of the early church fathers expected Jesus to literally reign on earth for a thousand years. They interpreted this chapter literally. Okay. Now the Alexandrian school was very much steeped in Greek Platonic philosophy and Plato didn't believe in a bodily resurrection and that kind of influenced for the bad the thinking of the Alexandrian school. So you'll get uh, after him came, after Clement Alexandria came Origen, they started denying that Jesus would literally reign on earth and eat food with us during the millennial kingdom. And uh, once Augustine rejected the premillennial position, which he had formerly held about 380 A.D., once he rejected that Jesus would literally reign on earth for a thousand years and took on somewhat of an amillennial position, <clears throat> that it's all symbolic of Jesus reigning from heaven, that changed the course of church history, both Catholic and later on Protestant, since the Protestant reformers embraced Augustine's allegorical interpretation of Revelation chapter 20. Okay? Uh, but I see no reason. I go back to the earliest view of the early church. They took it literally, and I think there's lots of passages that make no sense if uh, we don't take it literally. So I believe Jesus will literally reign on earth for a thousand years, and the church will reign in him. Now, the first time I read Revelation 20, I got nervous. Because I thought, man, the only people who are going to be reigning with Jesus are, are those who had been beheaded 
for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshipped the beast or his image and didn't receive the mark. I thought, oh no. If you're not martyred during the tribulation period, you're not going to reign with Christ. No, these are the only ones mentioned who reign with Christ, but it doesn't mean they're the only ones who reign with Christ. Okay? I mean, you don't have to go any further than the book of Revelation to see that. Revelation 2.26... You know, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches, so these guys didn't make it to the tribulation. They died thousands of years ago. But Revelation 2.26, and there it's to the church at Thyatira. Verse 26, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Okay? That's talking about... When you look at John's writings in 1 John, the overcomer is he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the overcomer, we overcome through the Lord Jesus. He overcame for us, and we will someday reign over uh, the nations. Now, Thyatira was a church with a lot of issues, but if they had true believers, those true believers will reign with Christ. Uh, look a little further, chapter 3, verse 21. Now it's the lukewarm church, the Laodicean church, the church that Jesus is ready to spit them out of his mouth. But in verse 21, it says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So again, it's alluding to the fact that all true believers... All overcomers will reign uh, with Christ. Uh, look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's second letter to Timothy. Paul was thinking a lot of the hereafter because he knew he was going to die very shortly. They beheaded him not long after he wrote this letter. 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's verses 11 through 13. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. I believe all true believers will endure in the faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we deny him, those are non-believers, he also will deny us. In verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. But it says what? If we're overcomers, if we're true believers, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. We shall reign with Jesus. Okay? So, um, so after Jesus returns, um, he will reign on earth for a thousand years, and the church, all true believers, will reign with him. Those who have received their immortal bodies. Okay? And... Um, um, we don't have time to look there. You might want to write down Matthew 19, Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 to 30. Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 to 30. Because Jesus told the apostles, Peter said, man, we've given up everything for you. You know, it's kind of like, what are we going to get out of this? And Jesus said, hey, you know, um, if you've left family for me, um, if you left land for me, you're going to get that a hundredfold. And, um, but he told the apostles 
that they would sit on 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel. When are the apostles going to sit on 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel? It hasn't happened yet. It's going to be when Jesus returns and brings the kingdom of God to earth. Um, and so the church will reign with Christ. Satan will be chained up in the abyss, the bottomless pit during this time. He won't be able to mess with man. And Satan will be released at the end of the thousand years for one final revolt. And then Jesus will defeat him and cast him into the lake of fire. And then will come the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. You have nothing to worry about with the great white throne judgment if you trust in Jesus alone for salvation. If you're covered by the blood of the Lamb, your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. There's nothing for you to worry about. Okay? Uh, if you're going to try to stand in the judgment on your in your own righteousness, Isaiah says our righteousness is filthy rags before the Lord. You're gonna you're gonna fall short. Okay. Now let me just give a few reasons why I think God's kingdom will come to earth. Why will God's kingdom come to earth? Why will Jesus reign on earth? Why not just take us all up to heaven? Um, and so look at Matthew chapter six. This is what we commonly call the Our Father. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is Jesus isn't really saying this is a prayer to recite. At the same time, quoting scriptures as prayer is a good idea. It's not a bad thing. You could do I love doing that with Psalms, with the Psalms and all, but um, uh, but technically, this is a pattern for prayer. Our prayers ought to follow this pattern. And so in verse 9, Jesus said, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? I believe that God's kingdom is still future. Uh, I don't think God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know if you guys read the newspaper or go online and find out what's happening in our world. I never have a day where I go through the news and then I sit, kick back and say, wow, God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, We're going to see that at least at the point where Jesus ascended to heaven, he still said the kingdom hadn't come. Okay, so I believe there is a future physical stage of God's kingdom where the kingdom of God will come to earth and Jesus will literally reign on earth for a thousand years. Okay, now right now, in the meantime, the kingdom of God is here. You can look down at the bottom, the conclusion there, you know, because the Apostle Paul says in Romans 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So there's a sense where the kingdom of God is already here on earth. And that is that right now, you know, kingdom is the domain of a king, the sphere of a king. Where does the king reign right now? Where does Jesus reign right now? In the hearts of believers. Okay? So whenever you do Sermon on the Mount living and you're poor in spirit, and inwardly clean 
and you have mercy on others and you love and forgive those who persecute you and you don't harbor evil thoughts against people, whenever you're doing kingdom, um, kingdom of God living, Sermon on the Mount living, obeying God from the heart, which you can only do through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's evidence that the kingdom of God is here right now in a spiritual sense. But the future sense of God's kingdom coming on earth, that's not until Jesus returns. Revelation eleven fifteen, and the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. So until Jesus comes to planet earth and takes over the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of God will not have come in its fullest sense. And that's why Jesus said, uh, he told us to pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to pray that God's kingdom comes to earth. Okay? And um, we're supposed to long for that. So why will God's kingdom come to earth? So that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, second reason, to fulfill God's promise to King David that Messiah would sit on David's throne. Look at 2 Samuel, the Old Testament book, 2 Samuel. Chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now part of, we're going to just read the parts that apply to Jesus. Part of it also applies to Solomon. David was a bloody man, a man of war. So God said, I don't want you building a temple because then uh, no Gentiles are going to have the courage to come to Jerusalem and visit the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. Your son's name is Solomon. He's going to be a man of peace. That's what Solomon means. He, he's going to build a temple. But in this, there's also hints of the Lord Jesus. It's called the Davidic covenant. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 when your days are fulfilled, he's talking to King David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Okay? And, and he says he'll build a house for me in my name and all. And then um, move down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you your throne shall be established forever. Okay? The throne of David is not in heaven. The throne of David is in Jerusalem. And the day will come when the Lord Jesus will return as a descendant of David, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as the Jewish Messiah. He will rescue the Jewish people. He will rescue even Gentile believers and Jesus will shepherd the nations with an iron rod, as is said in Revelation 20 and Revelation chapter 19. And, um, and so Jesus will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and reign over the world, and then he's going to reign over the entire universe forever and ever with the new heavens and the new earth. So why will God's kingdom come to earth? So that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven but also to fulfill God's promise to King David, his descendant, Messiah, would sit on David's throne. 
Uh, also, Jesus acknowledged that the kingdom will be restored to Israel. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, okay? And it says, uh, Therefore, when they, the apostles, had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus isn't going to restore God's kingdom, restore the kingdom to Israel on earth. Then he should have said, you guys misunderstood. You know, my kingdom's not of this world. I mean, that's what he told Pilate. But what he was telling Pilate was, I'm no threat to your little political kingdom. Because I'm going to come. When I return, you're going to be long gone. But that doesn't mean the kingdom of God isn't coming to earth. The apostles asked him, um, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, he's saying, That's above your pay grade when I return to restore God's kingdom to Israel, to restore the kingdom to Israel. Okay? Now he goes on and says, What your job is? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's what our job is, too. We're not to pick dates, try to figure out when Jesus is coming back. It's above our pay grade. So in the meantime, we look at the signs of the time, but we preach Jesus to all people. Okay? Uh, but the key there is the apostles were right to believe that Jesus will someday restore the kingdom to Israel. Okay? And um, and so, why will God's kingdom come to earth? Or I could say, why do I believe God's kingdom is going to come to earth? Because God's will has to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that day hasn't come yet. Also, God has to fulfill his promise to King David. Messiah must sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. Also, Jesus acknowledged the kingdom would be restored to Israel. As I mentioned earlier, the early church, many of whom were taught by the apostles and, and selected for leadership by the apostles, they believed that Jesus would reign on earth. Papias, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Apollinaris, Victorinus, and the author of the Epistle of Barnabas. In fact, I'll go on record saying, until Clement Alexandria in the 3rd century A.D., the early 3rd century A.D., until he started denying that, I don't think we have any anybody who spoke against the millennium. Not everybody talked about it, but everybody who talked about Christ's reign said he would literally reign on earth. So I, I am I don't apologize to anybody. Say, well, you disagree with the, most of the reformers, and your point. Okay, um, I would love if the reformers were a back to the Bible movement. In some areas, it was as they tried to reform the Church of Rome but got kicked out, um, they tried to be a back-to-the-Bible movement, and I think they were, with justification by faith alone and sola scriptura, the Bible alone is our authority for faith and, and practice. Um, but in reality, it was more of a back-to-Augustine movement. And Augustine got some things right, Augustine got some things wrong. And Jesus reigning on earth, Augustine got that wrong, in, in my my estimation. Um, also, why will God's kingdom come to earth? Because Jesus will f redeem 
the physical creation. The curse will be removed. Okay? Um, don't forget, God gave man dominion over the earth. Man fell into sin and forfeited it and pretty much allowed Satan to steal it. So now Satan is called the God of this age. Okay? Well, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has won back the right because he's one of us. He's not just God the Son. He also added a human nature. God gave man dominion over the earth. God's not going to take it from man, but it takes a perfect man to exercise that dominion over the earth. And that perfect man is the Lord Jesus, the God-man. And... Um, um, but Jesus is going to... He's not going to say, well, gave man dominion over the earth and the garden. Man blew it. Satan took it. So I'll just concede that to him. No. No. Um, Jesus, uh, God, the triune God, wanted his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that's going to happen when Jesus will redeem the physical creation, we're going to see the curse is going to be removed. Even in the animal kingdom, the curse is going to be removed. Okay, God cursed the earth when, um, um, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be to the point you could just, you get hungry, you just stop and start picking food off a tree. Okay, try that now. You're not going to last very long. And, um, um, but Jesus will redeem the physical creation, the curse will be removed, and also to show that man's problem, man's ultimate problem is not outward temptations by Satan, and it's not man's environment. You know, everybody wants to blame, oh, the devil made me do it, the old comedian Flip Wilson, well, the devil made me do it. Um, we want to blame Satan and his demons. Let me tell you, that, that is a real battle there. But you're responsible to say no to Satan and his demons, and you have the power to say no if you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And um, and we want to blame our environment. You know, we, we we've got all this the cult of the victim right now, where um, if somebody treated your great granddaddy really bad, that's why you're poor today. It's not because you don't want to go out and find work or whatever. It's somebody else's fault. It was my environment, my upbringing. You got, I knew a guy in his 40s who was on his third or fourth marriage and blamed all his failed marriages on his parents. Said his parents, by the way, his parents were good people. They weren't perfect, but they were good people. And it's like, dude, you're in your mid-40s. When are you going to get over it and stop blaming mommy and daddy? Okay? Now, I'm not saying environment has no influence at all. Okay? Um, if some guy comes up to me and, and, and says, God bless you, Pastor Phil, and hugs me, I'm probably going to freely choose to hug him back. Okay? But if some guy comes up to me and punches me, assuming... You know, I don't get knocked out, which is probably a big assumption at this point in my life. Uh, but if a guy punches me, I'm probably not going to choose to hug him. I'm either going to run, but since I'm not that fast, he's going to catch me anyway, and I'm probably going to start punching him back. Okay? Um, 
So our environment does have an impact, but we're still required by the Lord, no matter what our environment is, no matter what you inherited from your parents, no matter what your environment is, you're still required to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and make the right choices and do the right thing. Okay? Um, And I'm telling you, when people say, I want handouts because I'm a victim, uh, that is not the way to overcome in this world. Okay? Ask God to forgive those who hurt you. Uh, Pray for the strength, but overcome adversity. Okay? And, um, but whatever the case, you know, people are going to be saying, well, the environment wasn't perfect. Well, during the Millennial Kingdom, there's going to be people that go into it in their natural bodies and grow up, and they're going to grow up in the perfect environment, and Satan can't even tempt them. I doubt if the demons can even tempt them. And guess what? They're still going to be making the wrong choices. How many people here greatly desire for Jesus to return? Okay, we're Christian. We, we, we long for the second coming of Christ. Guess what's going to happen during the millennium? For a thousand years, people are going to be getting older and older. There's going to be people who just can't wait for the second coming of Satan. Who, who can't wait for the, to the return of Satan. Because like that Jesus shepherding the nation with an iron rod, he's got people in glorified bodies telling me what to do and they could travel at the speed of, of thought and um, you know and the thing is I love freedom I'm, I'm not into a police state I'm not into cameras everywhere I love limited government in the constitution but the reason why God wants government limited is because our rulers are sinful fallen humans they don't have the right to dictate over every aspect of our lives and they don't even really know right from wrong. Now an all-powerful, all-good, all-loving king shepherding the nations with an iron rod, that's the way it should be. Okay? And uh, I want my freedom right now in a world of sinful man. I want limited government because I want the freedom to do God's will. Okay? There's a lot of people who love freedom, but they they want the freedom to sin. Okay? We should want freedom to do God's will. Well, when Jesus comes back, that's the only freedom that's going to be allowed. Okay? But a lot of these people are going to be having bad thoughts. If you got your glorified body, you won't be having bad thoughts. If you're in your natural body, there's going to be people that are going to be having bad thoughts saying, I just can't wait till... I hate this tyrant Jesus. I can't wait till Satan comes back. And lets me do whatever I feel like doing. And and but man needs to be shown here. Why will God's kingdom come to earth? Because man needs to see that his ultimate problem is not the outward temptations of Satan or a bad environment. Even without the outward temptations by Satan or uh, a bad environment, even without that, man's problem is still his sinful heart. Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can trust it? Okay? And even after becoming Christians, you know, we, we pray, you know, created me a new heart, but that we're still tempted, you know? I could blow my top and really sin 
and get angry and automatically it's going to come. My heart, my deceitful heart is going to give me a built-in excuse. Well, that was righteous anger, Pastor Phil, because uh, you were just doing what God was calling you to do. It's, it's like when Jesus was cleansing the temple. Let me tell you, uh, God the Father called Jesus his perfect son to cleanse the temple. I think most, if not all the time, when I blow when I blow my top, it's probably the anger of man which does not achieve the, the righteousness of God, James 1.20. So, um, uh, but whatever the case, our, it's our deceitful heart is where it comes from. Now, what will the millennium be like? Look at the book of Isaiah. It will be a time of peace. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. After Jesus returns, it's talked about. This is written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. So it's a prophecy. He, meaning Messiah, you know, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, comes from Jerusalem. That's the verse before it. In fact, look at verse 3. Many people should come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the, God of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, out of Jerusalem, shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, nor shall they learn war anymore. And so it will be a time of peace where you can take military equipment and transform it into farming equipment because you don't need it for warfare anymore. Look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Government on earth hasn't been upon his shoulder yet. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, the United Nations isn't going to bring you peace. Okay? The World Economic Forum that wants to do a great reset, reset the global economy confiscate people's property. They're so deceitful, they call it stakeholder capitalism rather than admitting it's socialism. Shareholder capitalism is where people who invest in your company, you want them to get more money than they invested so they keep investing. Stakeholder capitalism says, look, we're all at stake here. The planet, the environment, you know, global warming and all this baloney stuff. And... Um, so if we're going to save the planet, everybody's got a stake. So your company isn't your company isn't to make a profit. It's to make a safe earth. Well, who's who's going to tell us how to, how to make a safe earth? Um, uh, Klaus Schwab, of the World Economic Forum, Guterres, the Portuguese uh, Attorney General, uh, Secretary General of the UN, and John Kerry has already stated that he's going to be in uh, Joe Biden's 
administration and that Joe Biden wants full speed ahead on the Great Reset. If you're trusting the United Nations, even the American government, uh, for peace on earth, you're going to lose that deal. Okay? Don't wager on the UN. Trust in God. Uh, the Lord Jesus is going to give us peace, not the United Nations. In fact, by, by the way, these verses are above the door, the entrance door in New York City to the United Nations building because they think they're going to bring peace to the planet Earth. I don't think so. Okay? It's going to take the Lord Jesus who's going to carry a bigger stick than anybody else has and he's going to enforce peace through his strength. Look at Isaiah 65, verse 20. So it's going to be a time of peace. Isaiah 65, verse 20. And it says, No more, Isaiah 65, 20, No more shall an infant from there, talking about Jerusalem, live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old. But the, the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. And so uh, some translations, the way they read it is that if somebody dies before the age of 100, everybody's going to think, man, that guy was cursed to God. He did something wrong. So apparently Jesus is going to be exercising capital punishment. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be the way it was before the flood, where guys were living to be like 900 years old. Now, for that to occur, uh, a genetic renewal has to occur even in those who don't have the resurrection bodies. You know, this is something the bigwigs don't like to talk about, genetic entropy. But with each generation, we're introducing hundreds of new mutations into the human gene pool and almost all of them are detrimental and they get passed on. Whereas helpful mutations, they just, it's kind of like, just happens to be a, a lucky coincidence where it might help you temporarily, but they usually don't pass on and they just die out. So you can do the math. By the way, if our scientific experts who are aware of genetic entropy, genetic uh, decay in the human genome, if they're aware of it and they believe we've been here for millions of years, the universe has been here for billions of years, they might be saying, oh no, the human race only has a, a few million years left. Well, what if they're wrong? What if we've only been here for thousands of years? What if Genesis 1 should be interpreted literally, which I think it should? then all of a sudden being around for millions of years might mean with genetic entropy we only got a few generations left, if that. Okay? That's why there's so many people that are so big, uh, billionaires, the, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation, Bill Gates, that are pouring so much money into human genome research, the human genetic code, researching that, um, and also the, they're uh, investing in the transhumanism movement trying to make better humans, trying to expand the life expectancy of humans. If you don't believe in God and the hereafter, all you got is what's on planet Earth. Okay? So, um, but whatever the case, there's going to be this longevity. There's going to be justice. 
Uh, look at um, uh, Isaiah 11, 4 and 5. Isaiah chapter 11. If Jewish tradition is correct, Isaiah was the guy that the book of Hebrews talked about where he was sawn in two. Okay? So he was preaching, you know, hey, woe to those who call evil good and good, good evil. He was preaching uh, judgment upon the Jewish people. That didn't make him popular. They beat him up. Eventually they killed the dude. Okay? Um, yet, you find probably more verses in the book of Isaiah about Jesus' reign on earth than in any other book in the Bible. Okay? So, so a guy who says, repent or God's going to judge you. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God's going to judge you if you don't repent. But the day will come when Messiah will stand, will reign over the earth, and will have peace and justice and healing. And guess what? They just ignore that part and say, this guy keeps, keeps bad-mouthing us. Okay? And... Um, but Isaiah 11, verses 4 and 5. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. That's the, the stem, the branch of Jesse, David's father. So with righteousness, Messiah will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. Now, we know this is talking about when Jesus returns, because then it goes into verse 6, um, the, the curse being removed. Then the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with a young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Uh, the cow and the, and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like, like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Okay? And um, it says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Okay? And by the way, even you look at verse 11, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left, and it mentions different parts of the world. When was the second time that God gathered the Jews? Okay? It was started in the late 1800s. Some of the Jews started moving back into the land. 1947, 48, they became a nation again. And uh, so the Jews are coming back to the land now. And um, yet God's word says that if, after the second time that God gathers the Jews, then there's going to be the millennial kingdom. Okay? Um, I think it's also, I think the book of Amos talks about the second time that God gathers the Jews. And it's all in the context um, of the last days. But we see that there will be peace, longevity, and justice. In fact, we don't have time to look at it, but in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, 
Um, Jesus is called Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. And it says that he is going to reign in righteousness. Even when I like a president or another politician, they never get it all right. Even if I were a politician, I'd never get it all right. So even our good politicians are kind of less than fully good. Jesus is going to be totally good, totally righteous. And, um, and so we'll have peace, longevity, justice. We'll have full knowledge. Like here in uh, Isaiah 9, where it says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge um, of the Lord. Um, look at First um, John chapter 3 and verse 2. First John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. If you're trusting Jesus for salvation, you're a child of God right now. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So God, you're you are now, I am now a child of God. But believe me, this is nothing compared to what we're going to be when Jesus returns. But we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus comes back, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be like him for we'll see him as he is. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verses 9 through 12. Now this is talking about the gift of tongues and prophecy. And Paul's saying they're going to cease. Okay? But he tells us when they're going to cease. And a lot of Bible scholars just disagree with it. But he tells us when they're going to cease. The gift of tongues and prophecy. He says, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, right now we don't fully know. So we need some, even we study the Bible. But even applying the Bible, God might have to speak to us in a miraculous way. But when that which is, by the way, if you think he is speaking to you, you better test it with the word. The word of God has been tested. You know how many guys there are? How many so-called prophets? that uh, predicted in America that Donald Trump would be reelected. Some of them are apologizing. That's at least good in asking for forgiveness. But right now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, in other words, when God brings perfection to us, when he completes the work that he starts in us, when our mortal bodies put on immortality, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, we're still spiritual children in this sense. For now we see in a mirror dimly. See, we don't have that full knowledge. But then, when Jesus returns and perfects us, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And so we're going to have a full knowledge, the full knowledge that God wants us to have 
uh, the full knowledge of the Lord that God wants us to have doesn't mean we're going to be all-knowing, but we're going to have a full knowledge for what God created us to be. We're going to have a full knowledge when we see Jesus face-to-face -face so the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. You know, we could debate biblical things. I've never claimed to be an infallible pope. I just claim to preach an inerrant, infallible Bible. So there are many people here that I love that agree with me on the essentials of the faith, but disagree on some of the non-essentials. Um, I think in that area, I, I'm doing pretty good. Okay? I wish more pastors would be that way. Some are. Okay? Um, but, you know, you might come up to me and say, well, I disagree with you, like, like the, the rapture. Okay? I think it's before the tribulation or the middle. I think, it's, I think it is the second coming of Christ after the tribulation period. And we might disagree and go to the scriptures and interpret this passage one way, another passage another way and all. Do you realize during the millennial kingdom you're shepherding some people and you're a mortal body and they come up with a question you don't know the answer? You can tell them, okay, well, um, let me go talk to Jesus. I'll get back to you. Okay, and with our immortal bodies, I mean, we could just travel at the speed of thought. People with their natural bodies, they got to go like once a year on a feast of tabernacles, which the book of Zechariah says. Um, but it's, it's like, you know, you get your favorite Calvinist scholar, your favorite Arminian scholar, who cares? They don't need to debate anymore. Just go ask Jesus. Okay? So the earth is going to be full of the knowledge uh, of the Lord. And then sickness and the curse will be removed. Look at Isaiah 35. Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Isaiah 35, 1 through 9. In verse 2, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make the feeble, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and will recompense with the re recompense of God. And he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Uh, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up on it. Uh, it shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. Now, in this passage, it talks about the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, and Jesus fulfilled that, but it's only a partial fulfillment. When Jesus performed miracles, 
He did them because he cared for people. He did them to prove that his claims were true. Okay? He did them, did these miracles to bring glory to God, but he also did them to give us a foretaste of when God's kingdom will come to earth. And the curse will be removed. Sickness will be removed. We saw that also in, in Isaiah 11, 6-9 with the lion laying down uh, with the lamb. Also, the millennium will be a time of worship. Look at Isaiah uh, chapter 66. Isaiah 66, verses 20 to 23. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. Um, and I will also take some, some, of, some of them for priests and Levites. So he's going to establish a millennial priesthood, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Okay? Um, and so after, you know, it even talks about the corpses of those who transgressed against the Lord. So after the battle Armageddon, when Jesus is reigning on earth, uh, it's going to be a time of peace and justice Longevity, full knowledge, the sickness and the curse will be removed, but it will still be a time of worship. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. I believe we read this passage already, but Isaiah 2. Verses 2 to 4. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations still shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the mountain of Yahweh, to the God of the house of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we, sh we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. For the word of the Lord from uh, Jerusalem... And, um, and in verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. And it talks about beating their swords into plowshares and there will be no more war. But it will be a time of worship. Zechariah, we'll close with this passage. Well, we'll close with this passage before the closing passage. How about that? Uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Now this is when Jesus, the first five verses, all nations are invading Israel and Jesus returns. He lands on the Mount of Olives and uh, defeats the armies that are fighting Jerusalem, fighting Israel. Look at verse 9. And the Lord and Yahweh shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be done the Lord is one, Yahweh is, is one, and His name one. Okay, and um, 
And then look at verses 16 and 17. So now Jesus is reigning on earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. And so, so basically if a nation or a region says we're not going to send representatives to worship Jesus, we're going to take off the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, they're not going to get rain the whole year. Okay? But they'll be worshiping. By the way, we didn't have time to look at it, but there'll actually be animal sacrifices in the new temple. The Ark of the Covenant won't be there. This is in the Millennial Temple that Ezekiel talks about, chapters 40 through 48. Jesus' throne is going to be there. Jesus is going to sit enthroned in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. Okay? The bloodshed of animals doesn't take away sins. Just go to John's uh, Bible study in the book of Hebrews. Okay? The bloodshed of animals doesn't take away sins, but it points forward to the day when the ultimately worthy Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, when he would come, and he came 2,000 years ago, and died on the cross for our sins. During the millennium, the animal sacrifices are going to point back. People are going to be saying, why are you having us do these animal sacrifices? And they say, to, to remind you that because of your sin, you deserve death. You need a substitute sacrifice. These sacrifices are temporary and symbolic. They point to Jesus. Remember the last time you saw Jesus and I pointed to his hands and his feet? you saw those wounds okay it's often been said that the only five man made things that will be in heaven will be the wounds of Christ and um, but people will be coming from all over the world to Jerusalem to Mount Zion to worship the Jewish Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ so what will the millennium be like a time of peace, longevity justice, full knowledge, sickness and curse will be removed. It'll be a time uh, of worship. Things will be right on the planet Earth. Satan's going to have his last stand. Jesus is going to put that down. Then comes the new heavens and new earth. We'll talk about that next week. We already talked about the present spiritual stage of God's kingdom in the hearts of believers and the future physical stage of God's kingdom. That's on Earth when Jesus returns. I want to conclude Mark 8 Verses 34 to 36. So with this knowledge that someday Jesus will return and make things right on the planet Earth, how should we respond to that? As believers, as those... If you're not a believer, trust in Him for salvation now. Okay? Some of us might live till Jesus returns. Some of us might die before then. And then our spirits will go to be with the Lord. And then when He returns, our bodies will be raised to meet Him in the air. But Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. And when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, so you want to be a follower of Christ, this is what you have to do. Let him deny himself. Are you willing to deny your own sinful desires? Let him deny himself. Are you willing... Are you willing to say, I'm not going to live to build my kingdom, 
but I'm going to live to build the Lord's kingdom. By the way, there's a lot of politicians out there They say they love you and they're here for you. All they're doing is just trying to use us as pawns because they want to build their kingdom. Whoever desires to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, what is your cross? Jesus, his cross was a little cross. Your cross is my cross, is a mi- our mission from God. God has a mission for all of us. Psychologists, many psychologists, not all, some are Christians. But many psychologists will say, you're a nut if you think you're on a mission from God. Let me tell you, as your pastor who studies the word of God, you are a nut if you think you're not on a mission from God. The only question is, have you been faithful to that mission? Okay, that's your cross. By the way, that mission might entail a literal cross. God commands us to to take on whatever mission he's given us, take on that mission, even if it means suffering and death. So let him deny himself, deny your sinful desires, take up whatever mission the Lord has for you, your cross, and follow me. Well, where did Jesus go? Jesus walked the path of obedience to the Father. Are you denying yourself? Have you taken up your cross? And are you following Jesus in the path of obedience? Verse 35. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You realize there's going to be a lot of people who profess to be Christians, profess to be believers, and they're going to accept the mark of the beast. The 666 on the right hand or the forehead. So that they can buy or sell. Because buying and selling and eating and taking care of your physical needs is more important to them than serving Jesus and worshiping Jesus. And they're going to say, okay, I'll worship the Antichrist. Don't desire to save your own life. You'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for Christ's sake and the gospel's sake, you'll save it. Verse 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. Look at the Rockefeller family and all the wealth that they've had and the, the wealth of Bill Gates. You could, you could gain the whole world. If you don't trust in Jesus, you can't take it with you. Okay? Let me tell you, as your pastor, if, I, if I'm reading the Bible correctly and current events correctly, things are going to get real bad before Jesus comes back. Okay, It is not just my job as your pastor. This is hard. This is very convicting. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not pleased with where I am with the Lord on this one. But it's my job not to just teach you how to live for Jesus. It's my job to set the example in word and in deed to teach you also how to suffer and die for Jesus. We need to prepare for suffering. Second Timothy Chapter 1, verse 12 says, Everyone who desires to live godly lives will be persecuted. And the only persecution we've had, people made fun of us. They called us names. Well, get ready. Because if there's not widespread revival or divine intervention, we're going to be losing our jobs in the near future. They're going to do more than call us names. They're kicking us off of the internet right now. Okay? There, There are talks, numerous journalists and politicians talking about how we need to re-indoctrinate these quote-unquote Trump supporters um, 
a big chunk of the votes that voted for Donald Trump were Bible-believing Christians who oppose abortion and don't want to be part of a global government. Um, right now they're talking about re-indoctrination camps. The head of PBS, they filmed him in secret, so now he got fired. And uh, But he said it's not going to be bad for the kids of these... Uh, these people, we can re-indoctrinate the kids. It'll be, it'll be, we'll give them, we'll put them in camps. It'll be 24-7 watching Sesame Street and PBS and, and, and blah, blah, blah. They're talking about taking away our kids. Okay? And um, let me tell you, deny yourself. Make that decision now. Don't say, well, I'll make that decision when this stuff comes down. No, no, you make that decision now. You got to decide which side you're on. So decide right now. I'm trusting in Jesus for salvation. I'm going to deny my own selfish desires. I am going to pick up that cross. Whatever God's mission for you is, pick up that cross and then follow Jesus in the path of obedience. Be willing to not only live for Jesus, but to die for Jesus. And by the way, if you're not living for Jesus, don't tell me when things get bad, you're going to be willing to die for him. If you can't live for Jesus when days are good, what makes you think you're going to be willing to die for him when things get bad? Okay? But make that decision now. Decide which side that you're on. Say with Joshua, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The coming days... I believe, are going to be incredibly dark. The Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And right now, Christians who love others and speak the truth and love, we're the bad guys, according to the people in positions of power. I do not know if, if America's ever going to have a fair election again. Okay? Um, we, you know, if we have political say, which I don't, I'm not sure we have anymore, you gotta, you gotta be wise. Study the word, and vote like Jesus would vote, I guess, and teach others. Uh, and would uh, um, hope for a government that is biblically pleasing to the Lord. But in the end, um, leaders changing leaders and changing laws aren't aren't what it's about. It's about changing hearts, and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to make things right upon the earth. But until then. We're going to be public enemy, number one, of Satan and his kingdom. And they have gained an incredible amount of power in this nation. And when this nation falls, believe me, when America falls, there's no place to run. The entire globe is going to see bloodshed and tyranny. Between 170 million and 320 million people were killed by their own governments during the 20th century during peacetime. Um, hundreds of millions were killed by their governments in the 20th century, 21st century. If there's not widespread revival, and there's no, no repentance, no revival, I don't see any repentance. Amen. Okay? I can't even, I don't even see the church repenting, let alone the world. Um, but apart from revival, repentance, revival, and God's intervention as hundreds of millions were slaughtered by police states in the uh, 20th century, in the 21st century, it's going to be billions. Okay? And um, 
You know, most of us are going to do, maybe even me. We say, why God, why God? He's like, as, as if this isn't proving that God's word is true. God told us ahead of time. Okay? Everything that can be taken from us will be taken from us. The only thing that can't be taken from us his name is Jesus. Amen. And there's salvation in no other name. His name is Jesus. And because he died and rose from the dead, God took Jesus' name and gave him the name which is above any other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Yahweh, that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That day is going to come. Jesus is going to make things right on the planet Earth. Until then, don't try to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Put both feet in God's kingdom. Deny yourself. Pick up the cross. And follow King Jesus. He's coming back. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, for the people that are here that are hungry for your word and your truth. But I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would acknowledge we're sinners, would acknowledge we can't save ourselves, and would trust in Jesus alone for salvation. We know that he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead to conquer death for us. So may we trust in Jesus alone for salvation, and... Um, and maybe we walk with Jesus all the days of our lives. Teach us, Lord, how to deny ourselves. Teach us how to pick up the cross and follow your son, the Lord Jesus, in the path of obedience. Teach us to uh, not seek to save our lives, but to be willing to lose our lives for Jesus' sake. And so help us to glorify Jesus in our lives, not ourselves. Help us to live for Jesus, not ourselves. And help us to build your kingdom, not our own. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you. Thank you.